Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. More than a month has passed since local officials ordered us all to stay at home. And for organizations that advocate for domestic violence survivors, that's been an incredibly anxious time. Joining us today to talk about it is Susan D. Kidder. She's Chief Executive Officer of Safe Connections. That's a local nonprofit that aims to reduce the incidence and impact of domestic violence. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. And we're also joined by the organization's Director of Crisis and Prevention, Bridget Welch. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Susan, let's start with you. What's been your biggest fear during these weeks of everyone sheltering at home? Well, certainly when an abuser uh, is um, having his uh, or her or their survivor right there uh, in their in their control and within their power, uh, that makes it even more difficult for that survivor to gain access to resources, uh, to find a quiet, private, safe place to call, reach out for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that has been really the driver behind our community call to action for people to be extra vigilant uh, if they hear something or see something, to, to really make the call to Safe Connections Crisis Helpline because even if that person doesn't doesn't know how to get involved or doesn't want to be involved, Safe Connections is a judgment-free zone. All mm-hmm. we want is to, to help that survivor so we can be the ones to, to help that caller kind of navigate that situation and lead that survivor to uh, as much safety as possible. So if I was worried about a friend, if they were in a relationship I'd had concerns about before, I haven't heard from this person in a long time, um, you know, since this all began, but I don't have any direct knowledge, would you still encourage me to call your hotline at that point? Absolutely, because that really has been part of the increase in calls that we've received are from uh, folks who are worried about someone, love someone, know someone, care about someone, and want to know how can they best, most safely, help the person they're worried about. Hmm. And our crisis helpline staff know how to help that person uh, answer those questions and navigate that situation. Now, Bridget, you deal with this Safe Connections hotline, um, and Susan just mentioned an increase. Has there overall been uh, more people that you're hearing from at this point? Yes. You know, um, we look at our call volume month to month, and in March we had a 19% increase, um, mm. and that is significant for us. Uh, we usually see somewhere between a 1% to 5% increase in a given month year to year, um, so that was astounding um, and very indicative of, I think, this, this time um, and people looking for resources and support. Um, April is somewhat leveling out. Um, and I've had the thought, I wonder if callers are, are wondering if services are closed, if folks are not able to help them. Um, so we're somewhat shifting back to a normal call volume. Um, but definitely at first it was spiked for us. A lot of calls. Were these from people directly impacted by this? Or were these were you also hearing from a lot of friends and, and people with concern about third parties? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. We seem to see more of the latter um, first-time callers that maybe didn't even know what Safe Connections was or the services that we provided. Um, Folks who were that, you know, 
friend from church, the neighbor, the community member who um, maybe wasn't ready to pick up the phone and call law enforcement or um, wasn't sure exactly how to intervene but was looking for tips on safety planning resources, how to support that loved one. It's interesting. You mentioned you saw this big spike and now you're seeing things get a little quieter in April. Uh, Does that frighten you more that things have gotten quieter? Absolutely. Um, I think right off the bat, we saw that child abuse and neglect calls um, and elder and disabled neglect and abuse calls dropped. Um, Both ourselves and other hotlines and helplines throughout the U.S. have seen that. Um, You know, so as Susan was mentioning, you picture this potentially violent person, this abuser, has this ideal situation to control um, that that person, that child maybe is not seeing the teachers, social workers, church, athletics, um, you know, folks that they usually would in their life who maybe are making those calls, those mandated report calls. Um, so we we saw a drastic drop there, you know, so the, the falling off of calls in general for us could, could mean that, you know, it could mean that someone is more isolated, vulnerable, unable to access those uh, network of supports in their life. Hmm. So as much as each individual call certainly indicates some real concern, it sounds like getting fewer calls is a huge concern in, in and of itself. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, I, um, and I'll, I'll step in here. I'm uh, sorry, Bridget. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I'll, I'll step in and say we, we, you've, you've really identified uh, a big issue, Sarah, in that we are concerned about uh, a leveling off of calls because kind of going back to domestic violence and the just the definition of of domestic violence, which is that it's a it's a pattern. And the key word here here is pattern. It's a pattern of behaviors that one partner uses uh, to maintain and gain power and control over their other uh, intimate partner. Hmm. So while the, um, the the shelter at home has really uh, amplified and, and potentially escalated the incidence of domestic violence in the home because the survivor has perhaps fewer resources or outlets or opportunities to reach out for help, uh, we're concerned that abusers are being even more abusive and exerting even more power and control, uh, not letting that survivor out of their sight, for example, Mm -hmm. Uh, controlling every move and motion that survivor takes and makes. So the the calls that might have been coming in before where that survivor might have had access to that, that safe and private space to make those calls we're concerned that that those are becoming even uh, uh, less frequent and fewer. So people are uh, survivors are in even uh, more dangerous um, situations now than they were before, Mm -hmm. uh, complicated by just the stressors that people are feeling around work, around money, around uh, anxiety, around uncertainty, around these unprecedented times. So... While all those stressors are not necessarily the cause of domestic violence, they will certainly play a role in escalating domestic violence. 
That makes sense. I mean, add stress to what's already, as you say, a pattern of this behavior. I mean, that, that's got to just make a hard situation, a bad situation even worse. How can you combat, um, as you say, this increased control and this scenario that's almost the, the perfect scenario for an abuser? Is there anything you can do? I'm sure you guys think about this nonstop. Yeah. Um, any solutions here? You know, I think it's absolutely increasing any of those points of contact for a person. And I know that this is an unusual time to try to have to do that, you know, but even something like asking someone if you could do a grocery run for them or or bring them a loaf of bread or something, you know, if you put something on their porch, maybe they can leave you something on on the porch back and note some kind of of connection or something. Um, So that's just one idea, you know, and I don't want to equip people who will misuse that information with with too many details. But, you know, Mm -hmm. if if a person, that that neighbor, for instance, reaches out to the crisis line, we could definitely talk through how to safety plan, um, how they may intervene with a point of connection um, to to reach that person, um, to maybe get them out of that isolation and let them know that someone does care and is, is, is wanting to help however they might be able to. Now, Bridget, you you mentioned earlier um, the idea that people may worry that shelters are closed or that organizations aren't up and running that could help them. Are there any shelters in the area that are still taking new residents if, if people are desperate to get out? Well, you know, I, I definitely can't speak to each organization, um, whether or not they're accepting since it's not affiliated with Safe Connections. But I will say anecdotally um, that many of the shelters are just not having movement in or out. And, you know, they're making the best decisions they can for the current clients or staff there. Um, but there, there's just not a lot of place for that person, perhaps, who's exiting the shelter, you know, that would have left at a typical rotation, maybe they stayed 30 days and they're leaving, um, you know, they pot- potentially could be staying longer for their safety because there's not the family member to go to or the hotel to go to or the new apartment to go to. Um, so, yeah, we've we've seen quite a bit of that, um, a lack of movement in, in or out of shelters, uh, not just for St. Louis, but for the entire state, for Illinois. Um, probably, I would wager every every city that has domestic violence shelters is seeing that same crisis of emergency housing. Hmm. Now, Susan, I know that we don't want to get into the details of, of how victims can escape. We don't want to tip off abusers to strategies that are used. But if people are calling for help, you do have safety planning strategies in place uh, that depend on these unique cases. Can you give us just... Um, some idea or I guess some hope that if somebody calls and they need to get out, there are some plans that could still work even in this in this time? Absolutely. And, um, and, and you're exactly right. We, one of our big frustrations is that we would love to share with you right now um, 10, 15, 20 different tips that are part of safety planning. Uh, yet we know that abusers are also listening, so we don't want them to know the information to be able to sabotage that person's, uh, the survivor's safety. Uh, that's a huge frustration for us. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is, uh, Bridget just offered a, a great example of, um, you know, calling up. If you know someone, calling and saying, may I bring you something? And, you know, like, like Bridget just said, you know, leaving something on the porch so the person could maybe uh, swap out a note uh, you know, asking for help. Um, if, if people, again, know someone, uh, are worried about someone, call us because we can help that person with 
other strategies on how to reach out to that survivor. Hmm. So, yeah. And everything is so nuanced as well. No situation, like there's no profile of uh, a survivor uh, because just on our crisis helpline alone, we, we have callers from the entire region. So zip code doesn't, uh, doesn't matter. I mean, it, domestic violence is everywhere. So it can be uh, downtown, it can be Ladue, it can be Chesterfield, it can be, you know, out in any of the, the, the collar counties. Um, there, there is no, no profile of, of a survivor, uh, mm-hmm. which, in fact, makes it more difficult for survivors to come forward because they're afraid who's going to believe them if their partner is a company CEO or the t-ball coach or, you know, involved in the church or whatever that might be. So uh, there, is, there is no profile of, of a survivor. Mm-hmm. So that's, an, I think, an important point to, to raise. And, and Bridget, one other thing I wanted to make sure to ask you about today, I understand that just last week, um, Safe Connections launched um, some new social media platform-based outreaches. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do through that? Sure. Thank you so much for asking about that. You know, so an important part of this service that we provide to the community is prevention. We would love to see these things not even happening, work ourselves out of a job, right? So um, our prevention education program um, is working diligently to shift. They're totally rethinking their roles, um, usually in the classroom in front of youth or youth-serving professionals, and now shifting to web-based programs. Um, So that might be individually connecting with youth who already um, attend our programs, with uh, professionals, administrators, teachers, Um, to share information about healthy relationships, consent, things like that. Um, And then we're also moving to several social media platforms. So this Friday, we're going to launch our Instagram account. Um, The handle is at S-C-E-D-U-C-A-V-E. So S-C Educave. Educave is what we call the office where educators work. And they're going to be posting some wonderful content, things that we would usually talk about in the classroom um, around healthy relationships, maybe red flags about violence, how to stay safe, how to do self-care, how to be that supportive bystander as a a youth person. Um, So this is really targeted for individuals who are youth. Um, We have a Facebook page currently, our Safe Connections Facebook page, and we'll also be doing some promotions there for adults, families, guardians um, who are also working with youth and wanting to support them. So we're really excited to be able to continue to connect with the community um, in new ways. That's great. So even though schools are closed, you're finding a way to reach people where they're at. Absolutely. We are fired up about it, and um, we've had several youth already tell us, like, yes, as soon as you start that Insta page, we are there. We want to be with you. (laughs) That's awesome. And so that launches Friday if people want to check that out on Instagram. Exactly. Okay. Well, uh, Bridget Welch, uh, Director of Crisis and Prevention for Safe Connections, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. And Susan D. Kidder, uh, the CEO of uh, Safe Connections, thank you so much for sharing um, just this very difficult issue that, that you guys are working on. Thank you so much, Sarah. We appreciate the opportunity. And you mentioned uh, that hotline. If somebody is listening to this today and and they're worried about a friend or or they just want to get some more information about this, what is the number you'd have them call? 
Our number, our 24-hour crisis helpline is area code 314-531-2003. And an important point to make is that while uh, most survivors are women or female, uh, also uh, males and gender non-binary folks and folks in the LGBTQ community are also survivors. So we need to keep everyone in mind mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about this issue. This is not just about women. Right. Yeah. That, that, well, thank you so much for that, and thank you for that phone number. We'll also include it um, on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.